Hello, 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 all of you wonderful people out there. My name is Chuck Tuck, and I'm the host of Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. And in this podcast, and in all podcasts, what I do is I try to get behind the story of individuals like yourself to find out what makes them tick, what made them successful, what failures have they had, and how they got to where they are today. All of that is in hopes that you and I will learn something from each and every one of these people to help us in our daily lives. In this episode, I have a conversation with Natasha Miller. She is a very successful entrepreneur in the entertainment industry. She has just recently released a book called Relentless, Homeless Teen to Achieving the Entrepreneur Dream, which is available pretty much everywhere. All you have to do is either Google Natasha Miller, Relentless, and you'll be able to find that, you know, just as an example on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, like I said, everywhere. So in this conversation, we're going to find out what it is that she went through and how she achieved her success. Now, there are different things in here that we might pick up on that we have some familiarity with and some new things that's going to help us in our daily lives. So sit back, relax, and let's get right into it right after this message. Thanks. So I grew up in the Midwest in the 70s and the 80s where there wasn't very much support for families in crisis and mental health and counseling and therapy and that kind of a thing. And I unfortunately was in a home that was very dysfunctional and abusive. And I found myself afraid for my life my entire life and not mm -hmm. able to express my true self and definitely didn't have the safety or the comfort of what hopefully most people were enjoying growing up. I know that there's a lot of people that had it tough, so I'm not the only one, but, um, and I took to the violin at a year, uh, early age through a free music program at school from fourth grade on, which really helped me pull my soul, my heart and soul out of this horrible situation when I was playing, uh, practicing and, and playing and performing. And it, got me a full ride scholarship to three different colleges and really has been the thing that pulled me through music in general, pulled me through lots of sorrow and lots of unfortunate circumstances and really did bring me to starting this business entire productions, which I've had for 20 years. It's a profitable multi-million dollar business. So it is a rags to riches story. I don't know if I want to use that term. I just did, so I'm going to have to go with it. <laughs> That's right. But it's more it's more about um, mental and emotional rags to riches, um, although there is definitely a financial rags to riches. Oh, God, I've said it so many times now. It's going to happen. Anyway, you get the story. Yes. Uh, well, I, I think using that term rags to riches, it... it People understand and people have heard that, but, um, you know, kind of go, going along with the, I'll say the, the mental rags to the mental riches is something that people. It's more important. It, 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 it is your mental health. And I, the one thing I'm really glad that you mentioned about music, because music is a universal language. You know, we've heard that many times, but also you hear so many people uh, say music is help them through it. 
So kind of touching a little bit about the, the music part first is, did somebody encourage you? Was there a teacher outside of the home or was it something that you discovered on your own uh, about music? So my dad is a pianist and he and I would be in the piano room together. He would be playing classical, ragtime, jazz, blues, and I would be plinking away and learning songs. And it was very unofficial and authentic and organic. And in fourth grade, um, I was chosen out of a bunch of people in an assembly to try the violin. And um, there was a free music program. So I was called to that. But after I started playing and taking lessons, that's when people started taking notice. Now, I was kind of treated as a prodigy back then. But if you would have stacked me up with people my age all over the world that played the violin, I don't know if that prodigy uh, label would have stuck. But um, for me in my little Des Moines, Iowa, um, I was really good. And I got some attention and I got lifted up by people. And in fact, my conductor of the youth symphony, Diane Pope, saw something in me and suggested that I take lessons in seventh grade with a professor of violin at Drake University. So this is a big scare. He's the concert master of the symphony. He's the head of the music department. And I'm in seventh grade. And for some reason, she thinks that I should be studying with him. So I do. And so that is someone who, you know, saw the potential in me and helped, you know, push me forward. Wow. Um, so what would you say to teens out there mm -hmm. who either don't have a mentor uh, or don't have a direction, don't have a self-worth? What, what, what do they do? What can they do? And does, does their environment play into this? Because you know, stereotyping, say in the Midwest, you go, oh, yeah, because there's nothing to do there except for cornfields. And then you could just drink and party and that's it. So, I, like I said, that's just stereotyping. But for the people who are out there listening and watching and they say, well, she was lucky. She was lucky. What would you say to those folks out there? I wasn't that lucky, honestly. What I lived through wasn't terribly lucky. But I would say... What I would have said, I was always waiting for someone to save me. So people helped me, but no one came and removed me from my situation, which was my biggest, um, my biggest dream. And no one's going to save anyone. You have to save yourself and you have it completely within you to do that. If you don't have mentors and advisors, you need to actively go find them. Now, I didn't actively go find Diane Pope and Dr. Beale, but what I did was I took a free program and I did the best I could within that program in order to be recognized. So doing that due diligence for yourself, getting really good at something so that you can get the attention of someone is one way of making it happen for yourself. You can also ask. Now, at these ages in seventh grade, I didn't have the know-how at, no one was saying to seventh graders, reach out and find a mentor, <laughs> right? Nobody says <laughs> right. that. They start doing that later in high school and college, but you can still do it. And I remember even in the last 30 years, I hear so many people saying, ask someone you think will say no to you. You might be surprised. 
Well, they're still going to say no to you, but if you keep asking, you're going to find somebody that's going to say yes. And the most magical thing that could happen is that a person discovers you or you ask and they say yes, and they're very um, committed to imparting their experiences and their um, life's knowledge into you and seeing you succeed. That's the perfect match. Yeah, you know, it seems like, I think these days more so than in the past, um, when the younger folks get a no, they, they get depressed or they're down and they think the no means it's all gone. But no, really, no, no. it's just another opportunity to open another door and, and you know, it's forge ahead. It just yeah, If that no came to you, it could be a blessing. It could be that that person really isn't a good fit. And if that person isn't interested in you and too busy or whatever the reason is, then they really aren't a good fit. Mm -hmm. So just move on, keep going, keep asking. Yeah. Uh, it, now we're, we're talking about younger people and teens uh, because your book is based on your, your memoir and your life as a teenager growing up to now. But this, as we were saying earlier, is resonating with more than just teenagers, right? Yes, I mean, the, the target demographic for the book, the, the sweet spot for people reading it, I think, and, and I'm willing to be proved wrong, are people that are 25 to 55 years old. That's kind of a big chunk of people. But once you read my story and see what I overcame, how I was resilient, but not only resilient, but also relentless, and then got to this place in life, it gives, what I'm hearing is it gives people a little jolt of energy because when they read my story and they're like, Oh my God, if she can do what she did, I can do this. Like it's whatever, you know, there's no, there's nothing. I think the message is after you read my book, you can achieve anything you want to you. You do have to do the work, but nothing's outside of reach. And actually there may be bigger things out there for you than you ever imagined. But again, you have to do the work. Yeah. Uh, so you being a prodigy and all, <laughs> a fantastic violinist. I was a prodigy when... in a three mile radius. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did pretty darn good. Yeah. So at what point do you think, and how did it come about that you became business minded? I, you're an entrepreneur, yeah. you're an author. So when did that shift and how did that happened? I think it happened out of necessity of being mm. on my own since I was 16, um, of having to make a living, um, a full-time living while going to school full-time. And I wasn't willing to turn down offers or turn down, like if I got good at something like lettering arts or calligraphy, I couldn't just enjoy that and do it for fun. I'd have to monetize it. So then ah. I started saying, I'll, I'll do your wedding invitations. And then same with violin, I'll play for your wedding or a corporate event. Same with singing with my jazz ensemble. So everything became an exchange of sorts to keep me afloat. And I think that's where I got it, honestly. Do you feel that not only teenagers, but like you said, the demographics of this book is between the 25, 50, that somewhere at some point in time in the 90s or the 2000s or where, whenever it may have been that 
people have lost have lost that drive. Um, uh, it's is it too much of this watching the YouTube stuff and going, oh man, they're making millions, and then they go, I can't do that, or they try for two weeks and then you quit, and then they <laughs> they don't know what to do. Um, if they're trying for two weeks and quitting, <clears throat> then it just wasn't for them, right? Mm -hmm. There might be something else for them, and I think that no matter what time period we're in and what distractions we have. I mean, if you think about it in the old days, like rock bands were like the big distraction and TV was like, oh my God, it's going to ruin everybody's mind. Same with the internet now with gaming and web point 3.0 and the metaverse. People are still going to, you know, focus on what they love to do eventually, hopefully, mm -hmm. and come out of there, I think. There's always yeah. going to be something. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you on that. Now, I, can you take us on a little, a, a, a short journey of post-violin uh, up to the writing of your book, of your memoir? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, <laughs> can you do it condensed like this? <laughs> well, I, I still play the violin, but I don't oh. do it professionally. Mm -hmm. When I, I have seven CDs that I recorded, jazz vocal CDs. And when I perform and record, I play the violin on some of the pieces. So, but I stopped performing for special events um, years ago. And I only started writing the book in 2018. And um, I am, now that the book is coming out, the audible version has all of my music woven into the different oh. scenes. When I present um, to, like, my speaking, my keynote speaking has me performing throughout, uh, doing the keynote, reading some excerpts. So I've really woven it in. And um, I'm doing a launch celebration in person at the San Francisco MoMA on stage with my band. So I'm, I'm keeping it all tied together. It's all coming together. Wow. Uh, but that, you know, the last few years of writing the book, especially finishing it through COVID, it's been a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun, it, it, a lot of learning, a lot of pains, a lot of sorrow, <laughs> a lot of work. Well, music in itself, and when you're a performer, it's, it's gratifying, satisfying, but again, that's also a lot of work. Um, so, yeah, I learned a lot of discipline, uh, you know, practicing my violin in a isolation booth for four to six hours a day. And, um, when I was young, I would skip school to practice because I was studying with this very high pressure violin teacher from an, an, a university and I just couldn't let him down. That was the most important thing to me was to make sure I honored that. Mm. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't recommend skipping school, but, you know, no. free periods, lunch. I'm sure there's a lot of students, a lot of people out there who do skip class, at least. Probably not many that are skipping it to practice the violin, but. <laughs> Probably not. They're, they're skipping it to try to go home and, and make a YouTube or a, a, <laughs> a TikTok. TikTok thing, right? Yeah. But they're doing that out in the school grounds. Uh so there, there's a, a couple of things I want to ask. Um, one of which is, what would you say to the parents of these teens, of these 
not so teens who are still in their homes growing up? Um, well, I hope that the parents are um, treating their kids with respect and love and, and keeping them safe. And one of the things I wanted to do in the back of the book, which I didn't get to, I didn't get to because I couldn't find a good route to do this, but if you are harming your children and you know you are, to get help. Mm. Now, that's really hard, right? Because someone could read the book. This is how we are built as humans, can read the book and feel compassion and empathy for me and the story and not realize that they're treating their children in a, in a not so great way. Right. Yeah. But some people are aware of it, but don't know how to stop or, or don't feel that they have it within them to be any different. And I don't think that's true. And there's a huge strength in saying, you know what? I don't like how I'm treating. I don't like that. I'm spanking. I don't like that. I'm overly yelling at something that isn't that big of a deal. I don't think people understand, um, the, the, the outcomes of their actions. Yes. So in the back of the book, I say, you know, if you're being harmed or if you need a safe place to go, speaking to the person being harmed, here are some, you know, places, but I couldn't find the right thing to say for someone if they are harming their kids. So that would be a tough thing to even write down in words because so many people take take offense or they get defensive i, I think so yeah yeah uh i i wouldn't even know how to go about that uh, you know what do you Just get some help find a therapist if you don't have access or the money for a therapist because it's very expensive there are free ways to go about it you just have to google i mean really at this point you don't even have to get a, a phone book out right and you don't even have to go to the office you could do it in the privacy of your own closet if you want so nobody will right. hear or see so yeah. I, I think that in itself is really, really um, powerful. I mean, as far as the internet goes. Um, so this is a perfect time to ask you, where can people find your memoir? It is available um, right now on Amazon for pre-sale for all the versions. It launches officially on March 22nd. And I'd love for people to go to officialnatashamiller.com. Um, to see all the things that you can see, but it will lead you to um, the, the various places that you can buy at Barnes and Noble, Amazon. It's it's distributed everywhere. So. And I would imagine if if it's sold out and they can't get it, or if they go to their favorite bookstore and they don't have it, they can always ask for it. Yep, of course. Well, that yep. would be really nice. Uh, now you you mentioned Audible. So that it'll also be available on Audible. Yes, and that'll be a little bit longer. It's just a little bit longer scope and I'm finishing it completely on Sunday. So then it takes 10 to 12 weeks to get uploaded and such. Mm. So just wait for it. It'll be a great companion piece, even if after you've read it. Well, and in the meantime too, you have a band and you've released CDs. Can they find that on Apple or Spotify and even Amazon? Apple, Spotify, Pandora, all the places. And would they just look under a Natasha Miller um, yep. violinist extraordinaire? Or? No, no, <laughs> Natasha Miller, uh, all the records up there are vocal records, so. Okay, wow. Uh, I will, you know, I'll be upfront and say that I have not had the opportunity to read your memoir and I have not listened to your music, but I would be doing both, definitely. 
Thank you. So, and anything, uh, you know, music, as we were saying at the very beginning, music is the universal language. So, you know, give it a go. Listen, listen to Natasha's voice and love her singing. Buy the CDs and then wait for the Audible to come out so you can hear all the background violin and all, all everything else that you put Yeah, down. it's going to be really cool. It, it yeah. certainly sounds like it. Now, jumping into the entrepreneurship part and and business do you want to talk about that launch of your business your career sure. that way uh yeah that also what out of necessity it came about that you yeah i mean the first 10 years of my business uh were more of a lifestyle business supporting my basic lifestyle and performing mm -hmm. but then it started to scale and grow and really you know, become bigger than just me. And before COVID, my um, payroll for the year was $1 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But it didn't feel like a lot because we had so much going on and business was great. And then our pandemic happened and in-person events stopped. So my event and entertainment production company had to figure out a way to stay alive. And we did that by doing virtual events that were really cool and fun. And we're still doing that to this day, in addition to uh, in-person events. But in about 2013, I kind of started waking up to uh, expanding the business. And my daughter was actually on the way. She was in high school and, you know, not needing me as much. Yeah. So I got to focus more on that. And when I did, wow, stuff happens where you put your focus and attention. So we scaled by 65% year over year. Wow. Year, yeah, and we were on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies for three years in a row. Well, I think that's the thing is you actually have to focus and you have to do it. Things just are not going to happen if you start and then wait no. for it to happen. Mm -mm. No, no, no. You have to do the work. And I don't think you should be afraid of doing the work. The work is fun. The work is the, is the journey. The work is the joy. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I, I I might be steering this conversation in the wrong direction, but stop me okay. if I, I am. But everything okay. that you're talking about, and especially in this entrepreneurship in the business arena, goes back to the very, almost the fundamentals of when you were young and how you set yourself I'd have been the right person. That person may not have given me the time. Right. So don't stop. If you love something, uh, go for it. Right. I mean, look at the title of the book, be relentless, mm -hmm. right? You want something, you have to make it happen for yourself. Absolutely agree with you on that. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you your entire story, your life story in the book, but then it's like, well, wait a second. Then people are going to go, Oh, I already know the whole story. <laughs> yeah. There are some things about the book that I won't talk about on the podcasts and the interviews that I do. So not to spoil all of the inflection points. So, you know, that's... but believe me, you can ask me a million things and you still wouldn't get through everything that's on the book. Sometimes I'll tell you, and you know this too, it's hard when you're on the podcast or you're doing your podcast and you don't want to give away uh, the punchline. 
it, it, it's yeah, like, right. well, I know it now. Well, let me just say this. There's something that was remarkable that made me stop writing in 2019, oh. just stopped me dead in my tracks. For about four to six months, I couldn't write anymore. And it was an, a, a remarkable discovery. And I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it also just wreaked havoc in my family. And it's all in the book. That's perfect. <laughs> That's a cliffhanger. Flip to the back. <laughs> um, there you have it. That's it. It's a quick podcast, but very, very informative. And my guest, Natasha Miller, was fantastic. Remember, her book is Relentless. Homeless Team to Achieving the Entrepreneur Dream. And you can find that everywhere books are sold. Just like this podcast, you can listen to it pretty much everywhere podcasts are available. So I want to say thank you. Thank you very much for always coming back, listening, and subscribing. Please remember, no matter where you're listening to the podcast, rate it, be favorable, and leave a comment. And spread the word. That's the only way this podcast is going to grow. And that is exactly what I would like for it to happen. And I certainly hope you do as well. So my name is Chuck Tuck. This has been Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. So until next time, have a great day. So long.